everybody. Um, thank you for coming today. My name is Cam Raslan. I'm a, a writer and broadcaster here in Malaysia. Well, not, not here, I mean, although Penang is part of Malaysia, apparently. Um, <laughs> I've been told. Uh, and uh, thank you all for coming today. We have here today, uh, th th his biography is in the program, but I'll, I'll quickly say, uh, he's uh, from Uzbekistan, but he's been a resident now in London for, since 1992, a prolific author. Um, and uh, he was essentially kicked out of uh, Uzbekistan uh, because he was considered to be what was incipient uh, democratic thoughts or something, which, which is a bad thing. And, um, and, uh, and I've been reading his uh, wonderful novel here, which is not actually even your most recent, is it? This is your... Penultimate. Pen not penultimate. <laughs> There's many more years left. Uh, the Devil's Dance. It's a beautiful book. And I was just saying to uh, Hamid, that, uh, having trouble classifying it because it, it comes from genres which are uh, new to me as a sort of Anglo-European-American reader. Um, but there are resonances there which we which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, so, without any more ado, to do, um, I'd like to introduce, and we'll find out more about him as we go along, uh, Hamid Ismailov. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, Hamid, for, for this um, session, I would like us to, to perhaps go in three steps. Uh, to start with a very wide shot, come to you, and then come through to your work. Because where you come from, Uzbekistan, is not a place that I think will be familiar to too many people here. So if I may, um, in this session, I would like us to tell stories, and I'd like our story to begin with a very wide shot about Uzbekistan, and then we will come and discover you in that landscape. So could you tell us a little about the Uzbekistan that you remember? Thank you very much. Thank you for organizers of this festival, wonderful festival. Thank you for uh, coming and uh, hearing to us, listening to us. Uh, I'll make it wider. Uh, let's start me from Central Asia, because Uzbekistan is a part of Central Asia. And Central Asia is the area in the middle of the Silk Road, so-called Silk Road. Uh, in that sense, uh, Central Asia, just to give a sort of upshot, consists of two types of people. Nomadic people, historically nomadic, the cattle breeders, and the settled people, the people who live in the cities like Samarkand, like Bukhara, the famous ancient cities. And the, uh, though they speak the same language, nearly all of them, they speak Turkic languages, but the mentality of people is completely different because of, the, uh, you know, of their history. Uh, the nomadic people, uh, because they are nomadic by their nature, they're about new pastures, yeah? They don't remember the sort of, you know, pastures of the past. They are all about the future, movement, uh, dynamism, and so on and so forth. Look at Kazakhstan, which developed immensely after the fall of the, uh, the Soviet Union. Uzbekistan is unlike that. Uzbekistan is very conservative. It's in a way, I compare it to an island uh, because it's landlocked country surrounded by landlocked countries. So double <laughs> landlocked country. Well, one of only two in the world. Yes. yes, and therefore it's a sort of very inward looking, very self-sufficient, very sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, I can compare it with Britain, for example, with England, let's say, yeah? Very much an islander mentality. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, in Tashkent, the capital of Uzbekistan, there is a globe, you know, with one country on it. And guess which country is there? So, <laughs> so that is the image of Uzbekistan, you know? Uh, but nonetheless, it's a place of different cultures, as I said, of nomadic culture. And nomadic culture is funny uh, uh, culture, very interesting one, because everything they keep in their mind, yeah? It's of oral nature. 
I'll tell you an example. Manas, uh, the epic, the Kyrgyz epic, is the biggest epic of the world. The written form of it consists of 500,000 lines. It's, you know, 50 times bigger than Iliad and Odyssey taken together, yeah? So, and everything is kept here. Because you can't take with you on the horse, for example, the books or the library to keep it. Everything is kept here and here. And people who are uh, sort of, you know, Manashchi. I say closer. Oh, yeah, yes, closer. Uh, speak with the mic. Yeah, closer. And they revert as the shamans, yeah? Unlike that one, the city culture is uh, very sort of, you know, subtle and very uh, refined culture, uh, like the Persian, like the Arabic one. Uh, once again, one example. Uh, all of us, we know 1001 night, and we call them Arabian nights. But we forget that these stories were told not to Arab uh, sort of king, but to Samarkandi king. And Samarkand is in Uzbekistan, once again. So, so these cultures are intermixed and intermingled. So therefore, we've got plenty of tools to tell the modern stories, you know, from shamanic ones to the Sufi ones, let's say. At the same time, it was a place where uh, every conqueror that was found, yeah? Alexander the Great was there. He married one of our girls, you know, Rukhshana. Uh, then he left for India. <laughs> Genghis, yes. Genghis Khan was there, married one of our girls. <laughs> Not one, maybe, many girls, because, because now 50% of Kazakhstan consists of uh, descendants of Genghis Khan, so you can imagine. And, and also um, that other <clears throat> wonderful nice guy from history, Tamerlane. Tamerlane the Great yeah. was born, luckily was born there. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, a, pr a proud heritage of humanitarianism. Um, but uh, can I ask one more question then, just to, to, just to really set the scene about yeah. Uzbekistan, in a slightly unusual route. Uh, just now I bumped into you at lunchtime and you were having your first ever Nasi Luma. And, and how was that? Wonderful. <laughs> right. Because um, our, our food and, and language um, says so much... Um, about who, the people who have come through our uh, places. And in my imagination, I think of Central Asia as being, well, it's, it's, it, it's in the middle in the middle of the middle of nowhere kind of thing. But that's, uh, that would be wrong because as you mentioned just now, it's, a, it's a, an ancient through route uh, from, from, the, from Anatolia, say, through to China. And so, there are many different types of people in the, the uh, Uzbekistan that you grew up in. Can you, can you give us a sense of some of the people? Yes, uh, I'll come from your point of the food. Uh, you know, it's a mixture of everything. You know, we've got uh, sort of, you know, food which, which looks like the Mongolian, yeah, lots of meat and uh, lots of uh, pastry. We've got some elements of Chinese food there, lagman, mantu. Uh, I think the origins are sort of, you know, Chinese. We've got plenty of, uh, from the uh, Western side, from Persian food, from Turkic food, from Mediterranean food. So it's mixture. Uh, recently, I started to think more and more uh, about the similarities of writing to cooking, yeah? Because both of them, they are dictated by taste, yeah? And uh, in that sense, you know, uh, I started to discover lots of novels which remind me, for example, the national cooking, yeah? Uh, I started to notice, for example, fish and chips novels. I started to notice <laughs> rich curry novels and so on and so forth. So in that sense, the Uzbek literature is a sort of, you know, moderate literature, which is partly Mediterranean, partly Chinese, partly local. So it's a mix rich of everything. And uh, then speaking of food, one more step. Um, I'd like to now locate perhaps you in your... Uh, landscape, and that would be. I, I've heard you tell that the the women of Uzbekistan uh, have been are, are the are the guardians of the culture, and you you've learned stories in the kitchen and in the house, um, and this is the this is the culture that you know, is it? Yeah, I might be uh, sort of you know. Uh, 
not very typical, maybe typical example, but uh, the male part of my family was killed, the majority, uh, during the Stalinian purges, during the Second World War, and so on and so forth. Uh, so uh, our generation was brought up by women, mostly. But I noticed that it's more uh, general than uh, just my case. I know that, uh, you know, uh, though it's very patriarchal uh, uh, culture and everyone plays macho outside, but inside all they sort of, you know, submit to their wives, basically, to their mothers, to their grandmothers, and so on and so forth. And uh, female part of the culture is the most uh, powerful, uh, uh, in a way, sort of, you know, culture triggering uh, role, yeah? They are passing the culture to the next generations, not male. Male are the sort of, you know, least useful in passing the culture in that sense. Everything is done by mothers, aunties, sisters, all those folk stories are told by them, all the uh, legends of the family is told by them, and they are keeping mostly the sort of, you know, the treasure of the culture. So um, perhaps we should say also then Uzbekistan uh, uh, was part of the Soviet Union uh, from, what, 1918 until 1989. And, um, and so therefore uh, Russia and Russian culture would loom large. And I know that you, are, uh, a, you have written in Russian, in Turkish, I believe, in Uzbek. In fact, the, the book uh, Devil's Dance is, I believe, the first Uzbek language book to be translated into English. Um, and I heard that your translator actually had to teach himself Uzbek in order to be able to translate. Um, which sounds like hard work because your English is much better, presumably, than his Uzbek. And uh, so there are language cultures there as well. And let's start perhaps talking about your work. Uh, when you decide an idea when you have a thought, is it in a particular language? Or does the language determine the thought? Yeah. Generally, Central Asia is a mixture, as I said. Yeah, lots of people have been there, and uh, we had influences of many cultures, including, the, as I said, the Mongolian, uh, Persian, and so on and so forth. So uh, everything was kept in the family. For example, uh, the Persian literature was like our own literature from the very childhood. At the same time, you know, what I think, you know, the blossom of the culture comes during the cross-pollinations, you know. Uh, uh, for example, the first blossom of the Uzbek culture was during the uh, me uh, medieval time of Alisher Navai, uh, our great, great poet, who brought the wealth of the, Rush, uh, of the uh, Persian culture, like, for example, Hafez, like Rumi, like uh, Bedil, and others, into the uh, Turkic language. The second big blossom was during the, uh, the, you know, Russians coming here. They brought the European side of the culture and people like, for example, Abdullah Qadri or Chulpan, the characters of this novel, they were on the forefront of this development. So everything was kept in the family. All the languages were kept in the family. Uh, and I'll give you once again an example. Even in living in London, my son was born in London in 1994. But we decided, like in my family, because I've seen in my family, to keep all the languages alive. I spoke to him, uh, uh, Uzbek, his mother, who is an Uzbek as well, she spoke Russian to him, and we <laughs> sort of developed a son who has got very compartmentalized mind, you know. He considers that the dad doesn't speak Russian and mother doesn't speak Uzbek. So he translates us to each other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but um, well, speaking of that then, uh, the emotions in the language though. So for, I have a friend who's a Malaysian, and he, um, he married an Australian woman, and so he has children, but he wanted his children to, to know Cantonese. But the thing is that he only ever spoke Cantonese to the children whenever he was angry. <laughs> so whenever they'd done something wrong, he would speak Cantonese. So they therefore would, so they never answered him in Cantonese, but they, they would associate Cantonese with, with anger. Um, do, do you have, emotional associations with your different languages? 
it's funny enough, you know, because my son speaks father's language. <laughs> For example, uh, when uh, someone annoys you, in Uzbek you say, am I playing a tambur, the musical instrument, into your ear? Yeah? <laughs> and when I annoy him, all of a sudden he says, am I playing a tambur on your ear? Which is extremely rude to, when you address the, your father, you know? But these are the sort of, you know, the sort of, you know, the things which you have to uh, accept because he has just my language, you know, rather than, yeah. But he will be good with his children. But your, but your son is uh, a British citizen. So you left uh, Uzbekistan in 1992. Could you just quickly tell us perhaps the circumstances of your leaving yeah. and then where it is you went? When I left the... Uh, the sort of, you know, I left because of the politics, because we were filming, as far as I remember, filming the BBC film about the Islamic uh, uh, uprisals in Fergana Valley. And we went to the most radical people, the Islamic people, the Islamic radicals, and uh, uh, the government didn't like. They attacked our houses and so on and so forth. They uh, filed a criminal case against me and uh, they wanted to arrest me and to uh, uh, imprison me. And they allowed me to escape. I initially thought it's just for three months because friends of mine said, look, three months and everything will be forgotten. Now these three months are lasting 27 years, yeah? Uh, but then I started to realize that it's not just to do with the politics, it's to do with the writing as such. Because my colleagues at the BBC, they were traveling to Uzbekistan without any problems. It's nothing to do with my journalism as such. Uh, here we are coming to the sort of subversive culture, uh, subversive nature of literature. Whenever you write something sort of, you know, uh, uh, real, yeah, according to your understanding of reality, it's subversive because the government's re reality is completely different. And they are trying to infiltrate their vision of reality into the minds of ordinary people. And when you clash with them on the, you know, on the field of uh, two realities, so as Sinyavsky, the Russian uh, writer said, you've got the aesthetical differences, you see? Well, I think that leads us on quite nicely then to, to your work. Uh, the piece of work that I've read, I've read about your other pieces, but I've actually read this, not all of it, but I've read quite a lot of it, enough to make it sound like I know what I'm talking about. Damn, I said that out loud. Um, the Devil's Dance, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable book, and I don't know if I can fully explain and categorize it, but you have an author who in 1937, Kudari, um, actually was arrested by the NKVD, the, the Soviet, who was the precursor of the KGB and now the FSB, and he was held in captivity and eventually he was executed. And before he went in, he, uh, a famous author, he, he was going to write a novel about um, this, this woman who was a slave stroke wife of three Khans. And, um, and you have now written that novel, which never got written. But <clears throat> what's also fascinating is that, um, in a sense, the novel, as I understand it, takes place entirely in a prison. But we go outside the prison because stories told within the prison and the novel that he is writing in his mind takes us outside into these vast, wide open spaces, spaces that I, I've never seen in my life. Um, so you have the prisoner who cannot move, but you have this, this world of imagination. Um, have I ca categorized that correctly there? Just one addition, he's not just a famous writer, he's an iconic writer of Uzbeks. If uh, you ask any Uzbek, do you know one Uzbek writer, he would tell uh, Abdullah Qadri. He is the iconic writer to the extent that uh, his work uh, days by gone is considered to be like Gone with the Wind for Americans, you know, the novel, you know, the novel. Every family has got this novel uh, next to the Quran, yeah, in, in their houses. So he decided to write his novel. Uh, I said to come, you know, whenever I meet uh, sort of, you know, uh, my readers and uh, people who are interested in my books, 
I am constantly discovering something about those books because while you are writing, you are writing sort of, you know, in a way, subconsciously. What you feel, what you sort of, you know, what you thought, what you are ready. But then you start to rationalize it and understand why you did this and that, you know. Especially working with the uh, uh, meticulous translators who are asking all kind of questions, you know. And then you start to explain to yourself why I decided. So the question which uh, Kam asked me, uh, once again, gives me a rational explanation. So generally, any creative person is imprisoned, you know, imprisoned by his thoughts, by his past, by his prejudices, and so on and so forth. Prejudices of his society, prejudices of his peers, and so on and so forth. So the act of the creativity is act of releasing you from this prison in a way. So maybe the symbol of this novel is how despite everything, yeah, despite the hardest uh, sort of obstacles and uh, situation in which this writer is, he overcomes it. Yeah? He, at least in my imagination, he writes his book. Though it happens in his mind, yeah, but I do believe that it happened, you know, I do believe that it happened and he wrote this novel in his mind, you know. Uh, what I did, I just protocoled it, you see, so I just followed uh, his footsteps and I did what he uh, sort of, you know, not finalized. But um, if, as you say, uh, Khodri is, is such an uh, iconic writer in uh, Uzbekistan, to, to put yourself in his shoes, to sit behind his typewriter, as it were, to, to write his words, that's, that's a real act of... Um, Arrogance. Oh, that, that's a good word. <laughs> I, I mean, courage. I was going to say courage. <laughs> you know, but as a creative person, I was rather creative here, you know, putting everything into his mind and uh, into he, uh, the mind of his uh, cellmates, yeah? So nothing is written by myself. And funny enough, what I noticed, you know, everyone who read the reviews of this book, yeah, the reviews of this book never mentioned me, which was the, initially it was sort of, you know, uh, painful for my ego, yeah? <laughs> Nobody mentioned me as, a, as an author of this book. But then I started to think, you know, maybe that is the utmost uh, sort of, you know, when you are lost in your uh, creation, maybe that that is the utmost skill, you know, when nobody notices you as the author of this thing. So I was gratified, you know, that I was lost in his uh, prison. That's funny you should say that. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why I find it so hard to categorize. Because, yes, I hadn't, I mean, I'd met you and spoken to you, and yet I, hadn't, I didn't think of you as I was reading it. Because it's so much in the voice of Khodri. Um, I'm, I'm concentrating on that author. Uh, and, and yet, well, you're cheating, aren't you? You're... <laughs> the best, the best praise for that one was in one of the Uzbek forums. Yeah, uh, when I wrote this novel, in, I finished it in 2012, and I decided to publish it uh, on the Facebook, chapter by chapter, and it became a sort of, you know, a kind of viral thing because uh, Facebook is not blocked in Uzbekistan. People start to share, to repost, to print it out in the newspapers and hand over, and so on and so forth. One of the forums said, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Ismailov, he uh, used to work in the archives, you know, and apparently he found the novel, you know. He's <laughs> <laughs> So the, though the KGB said that the novel was burned, the manuscript of the novel was burned, but apparently he found and he is cheating on us. So. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, now, uh, I, I, the only book that I could, th that, well, not the only book, but a, a book that really came to my mind as I was reading this was uh, Mikhail Bulgakov's uh, Master and Margarita, um, which is if you haven't read it, it's, uh, well, it's a wonderful book, and it's, it's a sort of surreal comic, if you can call it that, in such a dark time. Um, and I'm wondering, do you, in your work, when you return to Uzbekistan in your memory, because you haven't been there since 1992, 
If no, I... I've been several times. Oh, you have? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but uh, yeah. Right. Um, uh, as a BBC correspondent, right. yeah. Do, do you return in your imagination to a land of happiness or tragedy or fear? How, what is... What is I'm lucky in a way, you know why? Because the, uh, the culture of Uzbekistan is a mud culture. Uh, all the buildings are mostly built uh, from the clay. Yeah, and therefore with every generation the landscape changes completely, you know? So when I go to the place where my childhood uh, passed, yeah, I don't recognize. By the way, uh, tonight I dreamt this the place where I was sort of, you know, grown up, you know, and I didn't recognize anything, you know, because everything was rebuilt. And exactly the same happens with every generation. Everything is rebuilt. So the only place where you keep this place is your heart and your mind, yeah? So therefore, uh, I'm lucky to be an Uzbek, you know, and to lose everything while you're still alive, yeah? Uh, <laughs> I lived, I lived in Bamberg, for, and I consider it's one of the most beautiful cities in the world, the German Bamberg, where the buildings are standing for centuries, you know, and you are taken uh, hostage by them rather than you, could, uh, they are hostage of you, you know. So I wouldn't dare to live in, uh, for example, in the places like that, yeah, uh, I would be too nostalgic there, you know, rather than uh, sort of, you know, relieved and letting everything go. In a way, that would be um, the, the landscape you're describing, although it's not as green as here, uh, sort of similar to here, because until um, industrialization, until colonialism, the, the places that people lived here would uh, dissolve, disappear, and under the rain they were built of wood and they would just disappear. and. I would imagine that our memories back then may have been stronger than they are now because perhaps bricks and mortar kind of lock us to, to a, a place that... But it's real. I mean, brick, the landscape of the cities are real. They're, they're, the cities in Uzbek are just as important as the countryside, are they not? Yes, yes. I mean, could, could you name, for example, Samarkand, Bukhara, who are still keeping the 15th century, for example, or 17th century, and so on and so forth. But uh, my place, the place of my childhood, or the place of my sort of formative years, disappeared. I, 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 um, I'm sure you get asked these, these questions a lot about language, because um, you can operate in many different languages. And you have um, an audience, and you have an audience in Uzbekistan. You are known there, and yet you also have the facility with languages. But um, you've been living in um, the UK now since '92. You've been working for the BBC uh, World Service. You're in charge of the Central Asian. Was yeah. You were. You recently resigned. Yes. Um, and have you ever written in English? Yes, uh, I was appointed uh, writer-in-residence for the World Service, first and the last one. Though the World Service boasts the names like George Orwell, like V.S. Naipaul, Derek Walcott, and lots of... Ishmaelov. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> somehow I was appointed, and I was forced to write in English, you oh. know, weekly blogs, and so on and so forth. So, but before that, even before that, I uh, wrote one novel in a broken English, you know. Uh, hmm. I don't want to pretend, you know, uh, to be a sort of, you know, more Englishman than English, which is quite a sort of, you know, it's, uh, it's an attraction in a way. Uh, I think always about Nabokov, you know, yes, who was yeah. so, yeah, oh. over, uh, over, overcooked and overdone in English, you know, because right. he wanted to prove that he is better than uh, even English people in the English literature. Uh, it's not my sort of, you know, ambition to uh, become a sort of uh, the English stylist. I compare always it to the palettes, you know. In Uzbek, I've got 64 colors, for example. In English, I've got 12 colors. So I have to cope with those 12 colors. Right. I have to sort of, you know, uh, make something out of those 12 colors. 64 colors? In Uzbek, yeah, maybe even more, yeah. So your rainbows are just more glorious yes, than anyone else's? Yes, but else the is. problem is with these uh, palettes, you know, 
you start to either distract yourself or thinking, you know, should I use this grayish color here or that pinkish one? You see right. too many colors there. Right. I'm, I'm hoping that in our talk just now about the Devil's Dance, we've given a sense of the, the, the kind of books that you write, the sort of uh, perhaps Rushdie-like magical realism-ish type. It's an unusual landscape and I, and I recommend you check it out. But can no, we... he has got Karik novels, you know, Mike for the novels are Central Asian and more sort of Pilau type. So you, you eat your novels. <laughs> yes. You can In taste you can taste, taste them. Taste, yeah. Um, taste. Well, Brianna, and I don't like the sort of you know the secondhand food and so on and so forth. That, <laughs> yes. So uh, yeah, well. everything should be fresh and not similar to what you cooked yesterday. Okay, I'll tell him you said that. <laughs> um, the uh, can we talk about some of the, theme, the themes? We talked, actually, you and I, we talked last night about uh, the themes running through all your work, and you, you really have written a lot. Um, and you were saying that you, until recently, hadn't really discovered your own themes, but now you're getting a sense of the themes that run through your work. Uh, what kind of themes do you, and subtext do you, do, you, do, you, do you have? Generally, what I'm writing is people, hmm. human beings characters, you know, in different situations. So the character comes first, yeah? The character comes first. Uh, either it's a sort of, you know, half black, half upper, uh, sort of, you know, Russian boy in uh, the underground, let's say, uh, or the boy, for example, which never uh, grew up in, in uh, sort of, you know, uh, in uh, the Dead Lake, for example, he comes first, or the Iron Lady of uh, Gaia, the forthcoming novel, yeah? So all of them, they, they come first. Then I sort of, you know, could, uh, decide what to do with them and how to equip them for the life, yeah? But then I discovered that all of them are united in one thing. All of them, they are telling their stories. All of them, they are telling their stories. Not, not you telling not their stories, me, they... But, but them, yeah. So then I discovered... Uh, as a consequence, I discovered that my stories about as human beings as storytellers. So I consider, as a writer maybe, as a human being, that storytelling is one of the most fundamental, fundamental qualities of a humankind. Maybe even the most one. Why? Why is that? <laughs> I mean... Everything is story, you know, starting from our religions, yeah, from Old Testament to Quran or to Buddhism or whatever. Everything is a story, you know. All our beliefs are based on some stories, which we sort of either renovate or either believe, you know, either carry on with believing, either we break them, either revolutionize them, and so on and so forth. But the basis of human being is a storytelling. And sometimes it seems to me that, uh, I mean, even in hereafter, we'll be forced to tell our stories, you know, what you did in this world. So maybe, once again, storytelling. And well, I, I want to try and just get a bit more out of you on that one. Um, and these stories, um, they're not necessarily happy stories. Uh, they're quite dark. I don't necessarily want to be any of the characters here. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even dare say, what would I do in that situation? Because it's like, I, I would just die. Um, but, but there is a, a warmth to them. But it's, um, it's not necessarily happy stories. They're different. They are different. And what interests me in all these characters, how fit they are for their own purposes, you know, for their own stories, how fit they are. Uh, here we're coming to what we were discussing, you know, in the morning uh, session as well, you know, how authentic you are, yeah? Uh, so for me, this fitness of the story and of the human being is one of the most important things, you know? Because we see, I mean, in ourselves, in, uh, around us, lots of uh, stories which are bigger for the person, for example, or which are smaller for the person, and he tries to fit this story onto him, yeah? So 
I can discuss politics, for example, from this point of view. Yeah, for example, I can discuss Trump as an example of unfitting story. Yeah, so lots of stories like that when people are carrying sort of you know putting on the uh, clothes which are either bigger than themselves or smaller than themselves, and then they are sort of uh, you know suffering themselves and they make suffer others as well. So maybe what I'm trying to do in my book. Yeah, to find these fitting stories for fitting people. Right, right. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not leaving or anything. I'm just, I just want to, <laughs> that's fascinating, carry on. No, I just want to get my, my uh, phone because I, I, I want to make sure that we're, we're, we're staying on time here. Um, and uh, where are we? Okay, so in a moment, well, in fact, very soon, um, I'd like to <clears throat> open up to the audience. Um, so have, please think of a question, but I want to ask you one final question uh, about, well, it's about Uzbekistan. It's about what you've had to do with your, your life, which is, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a profound break in your life in that you're saying characters fitting their story. Uzbekistan has been, um, has gone through a, a difficult, troubled history, especially in the 20th century. Um, and then people were relocated, people were locked away, people disappeared. When you go to somewhere like London, uh, where they have their fish and chip stories, when you come to somewhere like here with our Nasi Lamak stories, do you think, oh, these people are pathetic, they don't know, they don't know how lucky they are, they don't, they don't know what's, what's a, what could be around the corner? No, I don't think so, because every human being faces all kinds of challenges, maybe not on the state level, for example, but in the family level, you know. I'm, what I lost while living in, uh, in, in the West is my arrogance towards the human beings, you know. Uh, we were brought up in the Soviet Union in a very arrogant way, you know. The whole world was the shade of the U USSR, yeah. We were brought up like that, you know. Everyone was brought as a superhuman. And lots of characters are coming from that one, how they sort of, you know, try to sort of tore apart these unfitting uh, clothes, yeah, uh, ideological clothes from them. So. The biggest transformation for me was, uh, you know, losing my arrogance, you know, uh, in the West. So I started to recognize that every human being is a sort of equal human being with his own problems, with his own challenges, with his own talents, with his own sort of stars in the sky. So, right, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, I'd like to, uh, would anybody like to ask a question of uh, Hamid? Um, and um, to take the opportunity to discover a world that is, well, it's, it's quite new to me. Um, anybody uh, uh, have any questions? Oh, we have a question of, over here, the gentleman at the back. Oh, there's a microphone, there's a microphone coming to you, yes. if you could. As you walk around Penang, or in the sessions, did you see anybody who would be, or possibly, future characters in your novels. <laughs> might be, the, might be the, the chairman himself, yeah. Please yes. watch out. <laughs> Number no, two. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. Uh, another one. Two years oh, ago, okay. yeah. Please. How many times do you edit your drafts? Thank you. Okay. Uh, uh, first question, a couple of years ago, I was in Sri Lanka. In Sri Lanka, <laughs> and uh, so it was wonderful. You know, one of the most literary uh, countries in the world. So I was amazed. I thought the paradise on earth. You know, and I came back to uh, my place to London. You know, and I started uh, to write a novel about an Indian lady whom I knew very well, you know. She was uh, the first uh, generation of Indian uh, children sent to United Kingdom. She grew up in a boarding school, you know. She was more English than English, you know. Very refined person and so on and so forth. She was unlucky uh, to have a 
kind of illness and to retire very early in her life. And all her life, she was doing just one thing, listening to Radio 4. And my novel was about the last day of this lady who died, unfortunately. And for two weeks, nobody knew that she was dead, you know, in her, uh, in her house. So my uh, novel, the English novel, was about this lady, you know, uh, who uh, died in her house the last day of listening to Radio 4, you know. Radio 4 usually starts early in the morning with the maritime... Uh, uh, Weather, the weather. Weather forecast, yeah. yeah maritime weather forecast, we, yeah. which is a gibberish, you know, but wonderful gibberish sort of English. <laughs> and it ends with it, you know, so you are lost in the ocean of words, you see, <laughs> which you don't understand and which you don't recognize. So that was her day, you know, but her day was, uh, Radio 4 for her was everything. Her husband, her pet, her uh, consciousness, her mind, her identity, her authenticity, everything. That's, that's my mother you're talking about. <laughs> many people. Careful what you say. Yes, many people are living these kind of lives, you know. And that the, the, the Radio 4 was, apart from everything else, the voice. Yeah, yeah the voice. So, and I used lots of, you know, my the memories from, uh, from Sri Lanka because I decided to put her childhood in, into Sri Lanka. So something here yeah, always coming that, that helps or comes out, you know, like that. So I, I, are you happy with the with the results? Are you happy with what? Very much so. Yeah. Very yeah. much so. Very much so. Yeah. Oh. As much as I'm sort of sad because of this book, because uh, yeah, I mean, but I've done my job. I've done my job. Uh, for the second one, yeah. In a way, yes, yes, yes. This particular one wasn't composite. You know, I knew her really, really well. You know, she was one of the, my best friends. But, uh, yeah, but some people, for example, I told about the Iron Lady, uh, the character of one of my forthcoming books, yeah? She is the uh, wife of the sort of, you know, kind of wife of president. Because everyone speaks when talking about stunts, Everyone speaks about, uh, uh, you know, about the uh, tyrants and dictators of stunts. Because all of them, despite of their background, despite of their upbringing, despite of their, uh, you know, past and so on and so forth, they act in the similar manner. They uh, kick out all the opposition or kill the opposition. They make lots of money. They uh, consolidate their power and so on and so forth. But nobody talks about their wives who are running these, you know, the dictators. So my character, this Iron Lady, was a composite because I've seen many of them, many of them on different level, including my family level as well. So. Well, you've, you've come to the right country for that story. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you just read the newspapers, your <laughs> daily updates <laughs> cost us billions. Um, we have another five minutes to go, so if you have any more questions, uh, the lady there and then, and then the gentleman here with the nice glasses. Are you able to go back to Uzbekistan? And if you can, would you? Is it still home? Uh, unfortunately, in uh, 2017, uh, we went to Uzbekistan as a, uh, I was a part of the BBC delegation. Uh, and I was thinking and caring about my English uh, sort of colleagues because they should have uh, uh, got their visas at the airport. They passed, but uh, I was kicked out to Istanbul, so. Your, your son has been to? Yeah, 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 yeah. Your son travels there. Yes. Um, uh, 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 I'm being confused by too many. What? It is, it is, but it's more, you know, it's, it's less and less because with the age you are losing more and more relatives, more and more friends, more and more uh, familiar people, yeah, your friends and uh, the close people. So it becomes more of the sort of mental uh, country rather than the physical one. We'll just take two more questions. This gentleman first, and then we'll finish with, uh, with you. Um, I'm the nearest person, so I'll give you the microphone. So, so I'm interested in this. Okay, on one hand, you have, um, you called it aesthetical differences. You, it, was it Solzhenitsyn? 
no, stans, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, yes. Turkmenistan. Yeah. Right, right, the stans, the, yeah. the, the states. Yes, states. Um, and, and, uh, and so that, that kind of sense of permanency of a state. And then you have the sod houses, you have the, 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 the stories of nomad, nomadism. Uh, and, and so how do you position your own writing in between those poles? And how do, you, how do you read your own position? How do you read your, your what you need to do? Yeah. Uh, what was, uh, in a way, sort of, you know, freeing me up was the uh, exile, yeah, forced exile. So uh, since I was in the exile, so I shouldn't follow the rules, yeah? Of, uh, of certain countries. For example, if I lived in Uzbekistan, there are pressures, all kinds of pressures, family pressures, cultural pressures, peer pressures, criticism pressures, everything. So I'm free of that one. And therefore, I decided to own all these cultures. You know? So I decided to use, for example, in some of my novels, the nomadic storytelling techniques, in others, so fit for purposes, you know? If I'm telling the story which needs a nomadic storytelling technique, yeah? So I'm applying that one. And I'm feeling free to apply, because in my own country I wouldn't feel free, you know? Because, because you have to choose. Either you are an Uzbek or a Kazakh, or Russian, or Englishman, or whatever. I'm allowed not to choose, which, which is my blessing. Yeah. Mine's a silly question, really silly. I didn't know about you, didn't know anything, until two weeks ago I was told that you're really famous by someone in Germany. So you walked in just now, and I whispered to my friend, oh, so this is what an Uzbekistani looks like. <laughs> and we both went, yeah, he looks nice. Now, the question Yeah, can we have a question, you're please? You're probably the most exotic person in this room for some reason. I mean, do you get this a lot, that nearly a third of this one hour was spent on discovering the Silk Roads, the words like Samarkand, what you eat, you know, um, you're really exotic. <laughs> I mean, do you find that you get asked these things a lot before you get asked about your work? Are you writing, your processes in writing? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, I've got a friend in Uzbekistan, a poet, very famous poet in Uzbekistan. Uh, whenever he, he could, uh, hears that I had a sort of gig somewhere, uh, then he posts somewhere uh, when people praise me, yeah? But he is the last poet in Uzbekistan or last writer in Uzbekistan. He posts about me, you see? So, by definition, there are lots of great people in Uzbekistan. Uh, that is one part of the uh, sort of you know of the issue. So uh, there are people who are much better than me in Uzbekistan. But uh, what I would like to say, you know, maybe Uzbeks are receiving what they're worth of. You know, if they put on their globe just the Uzbekistan. So maybe that is the sort of, you know, the answer for, for therefore nobody knows about them. Maybe. Um, well, you, you, uh, th thank you for that. And uh, <laughs> you are the most exotic person here. And uh, that seems to be the question. Um, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna um, wrap up now, but I'd like to uh, conclude by asking a couple of questions. One is we have been talking a lot about Uzbekistan. And we haven't necessarily talked as much about Hamid Ismailov as we have been talking about Uzbekistan. And I, I'm wondering, um, can we uh, disassociate one from the other? And if so, who is, what is Hamid Ismailov um, in his own right? Perhaps together with Uzbekistan or quite apart from Uzbekistan? Okay, the easiest answer to this question is my DNA <laughs> you know, test. Recently, I, I've done my DNA test, yeah? <laughs> DNA test shows, I told someone already, sorry if I'm repeating, so 
I'll start with the furthest one, yeah, the historical ones. 1% of Native American. 1% of Native American. Uh, the red skin uh, Native American. 2% of Irish. Nobody believes, but yes, 2% of Irish. 4% uh, of South Asian. So 4% I am relative to you. <laughs> and to Rabindranath Tagore. <laughs> <laughs> So with 2%, I'm claiming to be relative of James Joyce as well, you see. <laughs> then 11% uh, of Caucasian, whatever it means. 11% uh, of East uh, uh, Asian, which is Mongolian, Chinese, and so on and so forth, Korean. 10% uh, uh, of uh, Central European, which is Slavonic, and so on and so forth. And 63 left percent are Central Asian. Central Asian, which means mixture of everything else. So that is what Hamid Ismailov is, you see? <laughs> okay, you're just a mixture of DNA and... Well, um, yeah, okay. See, that's, that's how exotic he is. <laughs> just, he's just DNA in a test tube. Oh, time's up. Um, but I'm gonna, I know, I'm gonna press timing. One, one final question I want to ask. I've been having trouble characterizing your, your book, and I would like to instead ask you, in, in one word or as few words as possible, what would you like your readers to, to walk away with, to feel as they are immersing themselves in your world? That none of my books are repeating anything from the previous books. That is the rule. You know, when I feel that uh, uh, very often uh, I start the book, yeah? I start the book and all of a sudden I start to feel that I was having this tone somewhere. And all of a sudden I realized that tone was in another book, you see? And I immediately tear apart these uh, pages and I rewrite until it doesn't repeat in any sense, in tone, in musicality, in uh, characters, in setup, everything. So I'm not a writer of sequels. Yeah. So, if you would like to read any of my books, uh, don't think that reading one book, you know everything about me. So. Well, um, we've learned a little, I hope, a bit about you, and uh, and I do recommend the book, The Devil's Dance, which I've been reading. And so, I just want to say, um, well, thank you very much, Hamid Ismailov. Thank you.